Every time I preach in church, the sound guy never gets it on time. Never. I'm standing up there like, okay, let's go, got to get it going, you know, my mic got to get on, and I'm always up there, but Jason is on it tonight, so give a round of applause for our sound people, you know, they, they got it going. <clears throat> I'm excited to be preaching tonight. Um, when Michael told me the topic that I was preaching on, blew my mind. Let me tell you why. <laughs> I'm not a natural person at confession. I'm not a natural person at community and um, I'm just not a natural person at doing life together with people. That's just not my thing. I don't do that on a regular. I don't go out and say, hey, I just love to do life together with you. That's just my, you know, that's my, that's my, my thing. But it became my thing, and it became something in my life that I love to do, and, um, and I'm going to explain that in a bit. We're going through a series here. Um, we're going through a series at Thrive on community and how we can build authentic community um, through the ministry and work of Thrive and in our lives, how we can pursue Christ in a good community. And what does this look like? The first week, we did a, a sermon on just a, a community focused on Christ, Christ being the center of it all. So if Christ is not the center of a community, the community is worthless. Um, and Michael kind of led us in a, in, a, in a way that we can look at Christ as the center. And the reason we worship, the reason we do everything as a community is to glorify Christ. He's the center of everything. He, he, around him is where our community is built. Well, on the second week, Michael then looked at a community of grace. And what does that look like? Um, how we as people, as a community, are all on the, on the equal field. There's God, and then between God and man is us all, us who are made in the image of God. It comes from the saying called Imago Dei, means made in the image of God. And we see that last week we looked at the, the, the story of the prodigal son, and we see in that story that there's an older son and a younger son. The younger son kind of ran away. He, got, he ran from home, he did his thing, and then we see the older son was just more of a self-righteous dude. So he, the, the younger son came back, he's trying to work for his father, father's forgiveness. He said, I'll do anything, I'll, I'll be the pig feeder for whatever. I don't do anything to come back home. The older son says, you know what? Father, why do you accept him? Why do you give him a robe and a ring? He's not worthy of that. Look at me. Look at all what I've done. Look at all what I've done to, for you, Father. And we see that in our own lives. If someone walk into our church today, we see that we don't put them at an equal as us. We're a little bit better than them because we've been going to church for a while. We've grown up in the church, right? We know a little bit of Bible verses. We can quote John 3 and 6, John 3, 16 backwards, so we got this thing down packed. And we look at other people who walk into church, and we're like, eh, God's grace will extend to them later. They're not, they're not, they're not to my level of sanctification yet. We're going to get to that word a little bit later if you don't know what that means. Um, and so we, we see that uh, like a community in grace builds us to a place where we all need the grace of Christ. We're all broken people. We're messed up. We have, we have wicked ways in us. Some, our desires are messed up from our hearts. And only by the power of Jesus Christ then we get out of that. And that's what we need to understand before we get into the last piece, that we're broken people. And that leads us to this week, a community of trust. Building trust in this community and how we can confess to one another and be there for one another in hard times. I want a raise of hands for people who naturally just love to go and share all their dirty mess with other people. If you just love to do that, show me your hands. Wow. Luke has a mental issue. We're working on him. Um, just kidding. Uh, nobody loves to do that. I've never met a person I've walked, to, walked up to. I would stand up to them and like, hey, I just love to share my mess. Man, I like to air out my dirty laundry everywhere. I've never met a person like that. You know why? Because it's hard. When it comes to a community of trust, I love I loved doing life together with people, 
but I dislike it so much. And the reason is, is because it's messy. You get into the mess of people's lives, and you see how messed up people's lives are. You see how dirty and, and grimy it is, and then you look into your own life, and you see how dirty your life is, and you have to tell somebody about that, and people get to know you. What are they going to think about you? And we start to get sad and depressed. There's no way out of this hole, man. If I tell anybody about my life, oh my gosh, what are they going to think? We start to even think about our own selves. Am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Could I actually know the Father because of all the dirt in my life? This is not a natural thing. In March of 2013, I was going to St. Anne's school as a Christian school. Um, I decided that I wanted to be a pilot. I've, I had this dream all my life, but then people keep telling me, oh, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a pastor. This is going to be a, a great career for you. I remember in ninth grade, this, this guy called Cameron Bow. He said, he said, you know what, I'm going to give you the nickname Reverend. And I was like, you're going to give me the nickname what? He said Reverend. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take it, you know, I'll, I'll, whatever, I'll take that. So ever since then, if you look at my class ring, they called me Reverend all my high school, from ninth grade to 12th grade, they called me Reverend. I wasn't a believer, didn't really, I went to church every Sunday, prayed the pipe organ, I did, I did all the rituals, I did the right thing, signed the cross, whatever you want to call it, I did it all. But I wasn't a believer, and so in, but in the time, I just kind of like submitted to it. I said, you know what, I'll go and learn the Bible, I'll go and be a pastor, per se, but I want to hold on to my dream of aviation. So what I did is I looked for a school that can teach me both aviation and Bible at the same time, because I wanted to learn my aviation goal, but I wanted to get some Bible in there, because people said that you would be a pastor. Now, bear in mind, when I was younger and my dog died, I, I, I stole my grandmother's choir robe, I put it on, I zipped it up, and I, I went to have a funeral for the dog. I took her Bible, and upside down, I preached a sermon, my uncle said, whilst he was burying the dog. And before he could put the last sound over the dog, I was preaching, I said, hold on, wait, I have to say, dust you are, and dust you shall return. I was really committed to this preaching thing, but I didn't know who Jesus was. So then I went off to Bible college, and then in September 2000, uh, actually in August, I, I was 16, about to turn 17, going off to school for the first time. I went from Nassau, Bahamas to Spokane, Washington, where it was about 2,000 miles, 2,000 plus miles away from home, and I was about to open into a new life. I was going to set off on my dream to be an airline, uh, airline pilot. I was going to learn how to fix planes first, and I was going to learn how to fly them. Man, I was on a goal for what I had planned for my life. September 2013, the Lord got a hold of me, and I became a Christian in Bible college. But the thing that was going through my mind at this whole time was this. Wow, everybody around me is saved. Everybody around me is doing so well. They know their Bible so well, and the only scripture I know is John 3 and 16. I know nothing else. I can't tell you any part of the Bible other than probably the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version because my grandmother beat it into me. I know nothing, and everybody around me is studying to be pastors and missionaries and all of these different things. They knew their Bible so well. So what do you think happened to me? I start to make up lies about myself. I start to make myself out to be this person that I'm not. I start to grow in an image that I'm not, and I, I start to lie about everything. I wasn't telling anybody about my struggles. Why? Because I was ashamed. I, I feel like the Christian community is perfect, and I'm, no, I'm nowhere close to it, right? I'm looking back into my past, and I see all the dirt I've done. I see all the girls I've been with, all the sexual encounters I had, everything that was wrong with my life. I see all these things, and I look towards the people in the front of me, and look what I see. I see perfect people. There's no one I can confess my sin to. No one out there could understand me. Why? Because they're perfect, and I'm not. I look at the scrums in my life, and how could I even be a, a, a real Christian if my best friend who was close to me, who claimed that she knew me so well, told me that you're a fake Christian, you need to stop faking this. Yeah, how do I know? I'm a Christian now. When the only person who knew about my life told me I'm not. So then what? I'm walking around Bible college, putting on this front that I'm some type of big guy, and that nobody knows about my struggles or what's deep inside. 
until January 2017. And about, see, we have to go back a little bit into 2016 when I met two friends, one from India and one from South Africa. And we're all international students and we're laughing about the American culture. Oh, they don't understand our culture. Wow, one friend speaks Mosa and one friend speaks Hindu. And I speak some broken English that nobody can never understand. So it's all working out for us, right? We're standing in this, this trio and we, we're a bunch of international students. We're enjoying life together because why? We're just bonding over the fact that we're international students. That we have to be here on an F1 visa and that it's so hard to get in the United States and it's so hard to get your visa and you're scared that your visa could always be denied. We're just bonding over these different things. And then it became a time when it got real. Christmas season came around. And so we went downtown Spokane, and we went into the mall right there, the River Park, or whatever it's called. And we, gone, we went we wanted to take pictures with Santa. So you have three college students in their junior year, one in his senior year. We're going to take pictures with Santa. They told us that the pictures were $36. We turned back around. We said, okay, we're not going to do that. We have no money. So we go on the side of the tree, and we stand as close as we could get to the pole with Santa, and we take a selfie because that's what we had to do. But God's grace is so great, because when we walked outside, there was a Santa standing on the street corner. We got to take some free pictures with Santa. So we like ourselves a white, round belly, big beard guy called Santa, because why? It was free. But then I grew in a relationship with these guys. I went home, and my sin was ever before me. I was like, God, I, I, I'm putting on this image that I'm not. These guys think, these guys think that I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm in, I'm in this place where it's just not authentic. It's not real. It, what's going on deep inside me is not true, God. And so I had a plan to come back in January after the Christmas break and tell everybody everything. But there was a guy named Chris. Became my best friend. He's from India. And Chris felt the same way. In January, he, he, let it, he read a book from Francis Chang, and then he came to me and he said, hey, I want to tell you something. I think the Lord is telling me that we need to fight sin. And I was like, fight sin? What is that? He said we need to actually get honest about our sin and actually fight it, put it to death. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? We're perfect people. We're Christians, right? Then he started to confess all of his life to me and start to let all of his junk out and just all these different things. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, wait. I'm not, the guy, I'm not the guy to do that. Don't tell me all this stuff. I don't want to know your life, dude. I don't want to know what's going on inside. Now, now it's two of us. Now, now I'm saying, hey, well, I'm messed up, and he's telling me he's messed up. Now people are going to think we're all weird. But I started to realize that, hold on, wait, this guy actually believes in Jesus Christ, and he thinks that Jesus has paid for his sins. He actually believes all the cores of the gospel. He understands that this is not a works-based salvation, but a grace-based salvation, and God has actually poured into his life, and he's continued to pour into his life. And the reason he's confessing to me is because he wants to bring what's in the darkness to light. And so I did the same. My first time ever opening up to anybody about everything about my life. I poured it out on Chris. Was he shocked? No. <laughs> Chris was like, yeah, I understand. I see that we all go through struggles. I've never, let, I've never left Chris' side, and Chris has never left mine. Chris is going to be the best man at my wedding. I'm performing his wedding in November. He, he moved to Gig Harbor because of that one connection that we said that we saw that we're two broken people trying to chase after Christ, and Christ is our only hope. He's our living hope, and we knew this. In our passage today, it kind of talks about that, right? I'm not saying go and, con- go and air out your dirty laundry because it's going to help you better to fight your sin. It's going to help you better. That's, I'm not preaching that prosperity stuff. I'm not saying turn to Christ and everything is going to get better. Confess it all. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this, that God has built around us a community that we are able to do that. The world looks at us and like, these people are silly. I keep all my things inside. Why are you guys telling each other everything? I can remember after I kind of got through this whole phase of telling Chris everything and pouring out to him and invested in his life and he invested in mine. I remember telling a friend back home about this and they were like, what? 
You tell people about your life. Why would you do that? They don't understand that God has created a community around us that we can trust people and be vulnerable around people. So let's look at our passage today. James is a book written to the 12 tribes that were being persecuted. And we know these 12 tribes are believers. And I love the fact that James just builds this whole book up, pretty much telling them how massive they are. And James 1.3 tells them to persevere. In James 1.6, he tells them to pray without doubting. In James 1.14, he tells them not to give into their own evil desires. In James 1.19, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In James 1.22 to 25, he says, do not be doers of the word, but don't, don't only be doers of the word. I mean, don't only be hearers of the word, but doers of the words of the word as well. In James 2, 1 through 9, it tells us don't show favoritism. I think that's my favorite one. We go into a small group at one, um, in my small group at one hope, we're going through the book of James, and we talked about favoritism on Tuesday. And it was, it was so crazy because James kind of talks about the rich and poor type of thing. He said, oh, what if a rich man comes into your, your assembly and you kind of get things ready for them? And then, but what if the poor man comes? He's kind of given this contract so you should treat the poor man well. And immediately my mind didn't go on rich and poor people. Because we, we just naturally do that. Oh, the homeless. I, I agree with that. We should not have favoritism with the homeless. But what about our own brothers and sisters in Christ? The people that are different from us. The different political parties in our own body. The different types of lifestyles that we live. Some like classical, like Michael. Some like rap, like me. We're different. And I show no favoritism to that. If you like classical music, man, we can hang. I get classical rap I can let you listen to. <laughs> it's called Tupac. <laughs> anyway, so, but, <laughs> but anyway, I, I just is so amazed of that because sometimes we jump so far into the, we jump far into the, the two different things of, of poor and rich, but right now in, in our church, I see so much favoritism. But anyway, let's continue. In James 2, 18b, it says, show, um, show your faith by your deeds. In James 2, 26, it says, faith without works is dead. In 3, 10 through, 3, 3 through 10, it says, tame the tongue. In, in 4, 3, it says, pray with the right motives. In 4, 4, it says, don't, let, don't be friends with the world. In 4, 7b to, to 4, 8a, it says, resist the devil and come near to God. In 4, 13, 13 through 17, it says, trust God with your plans. In 4, 17, it says, Do what it, doing what is wrong and knowing that it's wrong is a sin. And last but not least, in 5, 1 through 6, it says, beware of your riches. James is talking to believers and he's pointing out all these wrong things that they're possibly doing. I believe that there's probably people in these tribes that struggle with all these different things. People who are not teaming their tongue, they're saying whatever they want. People are just praying for the wrong motives. But they're all believers. And then he kind of concludes this whole thing with, he comes to this point in the passage we are, and he tells them to pray with one another. If someone is hurting, you pray with them. If someone is doing well, you rejoice with them. And confess your sins to one another and pray with one another. Then he goes on to tell us, what? If you see a brother that ran away, go and get him. And win him back because you'll save him from multitudes of sins. So in hard times as believers, when we're doing life together, as we look for a community and trust, as we build trust together as a community, as we come together as, as, a, as a body of Christ, and wherever that may look like, that, hasn't, that doesn't have to only look at, like thrive, right? We have other Christian friends, we have churches. As we grow into this communi- community, one thing we look at is prayer. In a community of trust, prayer is one thing that we go for. 
In hard times, James tells us to pray and pray for, the, for, pray for God to be able to heal a person, per se, for sickness. So if a brother or sister is struggling with sin, what should we do? Pray. This financial hardship, we should pray. What about spiritual warfare? We should pray. Family problems, we should pray. Death, we should pray. Shame or guilt, pray. Through hard times in my life, I, I, I tend to not want to run to people and tell them, but I realize that James is telling us in the, in the season of hard times, you want to run to your friends who believe us. Why? Because they'll pray for you. In a, in, a, in a hard situation, especially when people are praying and I know I'm going through something and they're praying to God, I feel so ashamed to even be talking to them about this. I'm kind of covering my face because I don't, want, I, don't want God to see, I don't even want God to see my sin, but they're praying to this God, say, God, help him with this. And I'm like, why would God even want to come down and help me with this? And I think that this is actually a perfect point where we need to press into prayer. I think when it's hard and rough, it's a perfect time where we could come in as a body of believers and come around a person and pray. The book of James tells us if someone's sick, bring them around the elders and let the elders lay hands on them. In the old Baptist church that I used to go, home, go to back home, when someone was sick, you know what they did? They literally would do this. They would bring the elders out and put someone on their knees. Now, if they couldn't bend down on their knees, they would lift this person and lay them down. And then they all get over them and lay, lay hands on them and they'll anoint them with oil. Well, the difference about anointing with oil, I see it done here in the United States. It's very well done. It's like you take a little oil and you put a cross on someone's head. You're good. It's great. You know, it's, it's fantastic. But in the Bahamas, they don't do it that way for some reason. They get the whole oil and they kind of just throw it all over you. So oil is all over your face. So you're really, like, blessed. Hopefully, you mean, you're, you're healing in a few minutes, right? Because they throw all this oil over you. But anyway, the thing is, I feel like in hard times, when, we, when, when situations like that happen, I think that this is a perfect time for us to get on our knees and pray. Well, well, why is it so hard for us sometimes to confess our sin? It's because it's open enough that people start to pray out loud. You start to hear people actually say it. For me, it's actually better when I said it, when I started to confess my sin, because when it was out in the light, it was kind of easier to fight it. When what was in the darkness came out to light, it was kind of better for me to actually go out and proclaim it, that Jesus has conquered this, that this sin has no hold on me. James also tells us in the same passage that we should rejoice in good times. I think we, we, get, we get this rejoice thing messed up. We like to rejoice and forget God. You know, we, we put him to the side. Oh, God has blessed me. Yay, now I can do everything God has blessed me with. But we forget to praise and sing praises. James tells us to sing praise to God in good times. So what about a person who overcame sin? Who had financial success? Who has authority of, uh, in Christ over the enemy? Who had great family relationships, alive in Christ, and they're very confident? James tells us to give praise to God, to sing praises. I know when my friends are uh, doing good things, when Chris got engaged, um, a little bit of his story, he, he kind of met this girl from One Hope Church that I pastor at, and here's how it happened. It's a really funny story. Chris runs from girls physically. So what he does is when, when, a, when a girl that he has a crush on comes up to him, he runs, like physically runs. I remember one time we were, at, we were at Moody. We were custodians together, so we all kind of cleaned bathrooms and stuff. And one time we were working, and a girl he had a crush on walked through the door, and Chris ran so fast, he couldn't get the door open in time and hit straight into the door. I was like, whoa, man, girls have something on you, bro. <laughs> and so he's all embarrassed and, you know, everything. Because we're all, you know, everybody's like, ooh, ooh, girls here, yada, yada. So he runs, hits the door, and he realized, man, this has to stop. So then I, I moved to Gig Harbor because I got a job here, and he was still in Spokane, and I asked him to come to here and join me during Thanksgiving. I asked the girl that he's now engaged to, I said, hey, can, can my friend sleep at your house? 
Chris naturally avoids girls, right? So this girl is single, and her dad was there, and so she was at work at the time. Chris got there, and one of my other friends asked, hey, do you have a single daughter? Because Bible college students, that's just how it happens. They just want to get you married, and they want to get you married real fast. And so Chris, running from, running from uh, um, girls, you know, she said this to, to the dad, and the dad just saw the terror on his face because he, they mentioned the word girl, and walked up to him and hugged him and said, son-in-law. He never met him before. Now, this is intense for Chris, right? Chris is pissed off at everybody because we're making this joke, and he know, we know he, he doesn't like to be around girls, and he gets awkward. So what happens? In December, Chris said, hey, I think you should give me her number. I said, oh, why do you want me to do that? You're not going to text her anyway. So anyway, I, I did it. He actually ended up texting her, and they ended up getting engaged. And why I say this whole story is because the rejoice that all of our friends have to know that Chris, who would run into a door before he talks to a girl, actually got engaged. We're called to praise in a minute. And when we're trusting people in a time of, in a trusting community, we're called to be a part of praise. We're called to be in a time of rejoicing with everybody. I remember when I proposed to my girlfriend, I, her friends was all clapping like this was like a church service and everybody, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm wondering what's going on over there. They have a whole party going on, but everybody likes to rejoice at happy times. The thing about a community of trust is that's what we're called to do. We're called to rejoice in happy times. And so sometimes in our lives, we see jealousy start to happen. We, see, we start to get jealous because we see other friends doing other things and we, don't, we, we can't do and we, we admire that. And so jealousy pops in and we don't rejoice. We start to, get to do this thing where we start to slander people and gossip about people and we start to covet what they have and that's kind of wrong too. See, we don't talk about those things a lot in, in, in church because, you know, they're, they're respectable sins. They're okay. I mean, you could, you could just kind of like do whatever. You could gossip about people, right? That's okay. But it's not. The Bible actually told us to like, no, I, I got that you want that and you understand that this person have it and you don't, but rejoice with your friend. And sometimes we, we fail to do that. And in a community of trust, we shouldn't. We shouldn't fail to rejoice with people because that's what the community of trust is all about, to be there in hard times and in the good times. But then it leads us to the second point, which is confession. I think this is one of the probably the most hardest thing for me to do. I always like the Catholics, you know, they, 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 they have this big confession thing. If you don't know about the Catholic theology, they, they confess. They, they go to a priest, they sit down, and they confess. But I watched this confession once uh, on YouTube. I don't know why this guy has YouTube and his confession, whatever. He's sitting down, he's sitting down, and they're, they're sitting side to side, and they have this big wall, and there's an open little window for them to confess through. He was telling the, the Catholic priest all his sins, and he'll push his phone up a little bit to show the Catholic priest's face. And I mean, this Catholic priest is shivering because this guy's saying some weird stuff, man. And I'm like, that's the best way for me to confess. I don't have to look at somebody's face. <laughs> what? Man, I could say all I want. I'm going to start going to a Catholic priest. Then I realize I'm confessing for the wrong reason. I need to be face to face with my sin. I need to let people know what's going on in the depths of my heart. And so when I do this and I, I, I could say anything to this Catholic priest and he could just hear my cry and kind of listen, I'm not confronting it. I don't really care about it. I'm just trying to get it over with. It's kind of become a ritual. No, it's in that hard time where you should confess your sin. Boy, this is, it's a hard thing. I don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't envy people that can do this with ease. I, I, you know, you guys go ahead. It's hard for me. But the Bible actually tells us to confess our sins. In James chapter, James, our passage today, James 5, 16, it says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. And, it, and there's, there's a lot of debate from scholars of what's going on and why it says you can be healed. Um, 
usually um, the, big, uh, the big thing that I've been researching and, so, and I saw going on around this is that sometimes sickness can be a result of ju- God's judgment on a believer's life because of sin in their lives. So God can allow sickness into the believer's life because some type of sin that you're holding on to and you're latching on to. And James telling us here to confess our sins so that we can be healed. But regardless of what he's talking about, the argument is a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness, it's good to confess our sins. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 20, 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and, re- and renounces finds mercy. When we, conf- when we keep our sin concealed up, I don't know about you, but when I do, I feel disgusted. I feel all dirty inside because I know everything that's going on and I have this mask on and everything is going perfect. It's great. Oh, you're so fantastic. But I know I'm battling so hard with a sin in my life. Man, it, it doesn't feel good. It feels like God has disciplined me, which he should. He has all the right to do so because God disciplines the ones that he loves. So he's disciplining me in my life, and that's great. But when I start to confess my sin, I start to do what the Bible tells me to do, confess my sin to one another. I realize that there's a, there's a, there's a weight lifted off of my spirit. But the Bible don't only tell us confess our sins with one another. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says we confess our sins and we actually come to God and be honest with our sin, that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now see the difference, the, 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 the thing about that is what makes it so hard for us as believers because we, we have this perfect image, right? We, we, we feel like if we're sometimes, at least in my life and, I see, and other believers' lives, sometimes we feel like we need to be perfect. How can we be a believer and we're following Christ and we're doing all these different things and we have these mistakes in our lives? I realized something. If, God, if we never were supposed to have mistakes in our lives, God would never tell us to confess. It's a reason why God tells us to confess our sins. Later on in the same passage in 1 John 2, it says, Say, you should not sin, but if you do, know that you have an advocate with the Father. Where? Through the Son. So confessing our sins is not a wrong thing, although it's a hard thing. And in a community of trust, we need to build trust to be able to confess our sins to one another. But I, I learned this as my, in my time at pastoral ministry and people confessing their sins to me. And I started to realize that don't ever answer a person when they confess to you, oh, that's not too bad. Don't ever do that. Someone come to you and say, oh, I put a penny up off the ground and I felt like I, st- I stole that. Don't say, oh, that's nothing. Don't do that to a person. When they're aching over sin, the worst thing to tell a person is your sin is not great. You don't have a, that's just little stuff, man. You don't know what the real stuff is. Don't do that to people. How could I tell you that? Because I did it before. <laughs> and it didn't end well. Because then the person's like, oh, that's not big. Well, I'll just go and do, keep doing the sin then. I mean, it's not a huge sin. Devante said it's not, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> I realized, don't do that. Don't, don't go and be, when you're hearing somebody's sin, don't, don't, don't do that. Show them the love of Christ. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a bit. And how Christ loves us through confession and through the restoration of our sin. But also, when you're confessing to one another, be honest. Sometimes it feels hard. Sometimes we start, we start to confess and then we realize how hard it is and then we kind of stop. You ever had that moment in your life when you start to confess your sin and you'd be like, oh. so I did, I did, um, I played a video game. And we start to try to make up all type of lies because we don't want people to know about our shame and guilt. Just, just go ahead and do it. Why? Because you're not trying to gain the pleasure of the person in front of you. 
You're just trying to gain the mercy of God, which you already have through Christ, who died for your sins. So the last but not least, in a, in a, so we have the first two. So prayer is how we build a community of trust. Confession, the last thing, restoration. Listen to what James 5, 19 through 20 says. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from, from the errors of their, of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think it's the best called out in the whole Bible. If you don't know, there's a guy called David. He was a man after God's own heart. David is, a, is an awesome guy, I would say, you know, the David and Goliath story, if you, ever, you should read it if you haven't. But one thing I like about David's story is this part. David knew that he's supposed to be a, he was a fighting king, right? David knew this. This is something David knew. He knew how to fight. He led guys in battle. He was good at it. That's what David did. David decided one day, I'm going to stay at home. This is the starting point of this story where everything is going wrong. David knew, I would argue that David knew exactly what he was doing. He stayed home. If you know anything about women, they like to shower. That's what they do. They like to be clean. I think David knew this. That's why he went on the roof. It takes a man about .000789 seconds before he's going to lust after a naked woman that's showering on top of a roof. David knew this. I made that number up. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but anyway, David knew this. David, have you look at the story Go ask to bring this woman to his bedroom. And if you look at it the way I do, I would say even rape this woman because he's a king. A male in a culture like that one calls this woman there and he does this horrible sin. (laughs) God sends a guy called Nathan. And listen to what 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14 says. Listen to this story. And I want you guys to actually hear this. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a, had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he, he had bought. He raised it and he grew it up with him and his, ch- and his children. It shared his, food, it, it shared his food and drank fr- from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man, the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor, to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned, David burned with, with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he, he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. First called out. Man, if I was David at that point, I would be like, Whoa, dude, you're bold. But listen to what goes on. He says, this is what the Lord, of, the Lord, the God of Israel said. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you, I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all, if all this had been too little, I would have even given you more. 
Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be own. You killed him with the sword to the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is, what the Lord, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take, I'll take wives in broad daylight. I'll take your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do things. I will do, sorry, and I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against I have sinned against the Lord. And listen to Nathan's reply. David confessed. Nathan's, this is Nathan's reply. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to be, you know, you're not going to die. Because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born, the, the son born to you will die. This then leads us to probably one of the best confessions, repentance stories we have in the scriptures in Psalm 51. When, when David cries out to the Lord and said, to you and to you alone I've sinned. Say, cast me not away from your presence and please don't take your spirit from me and restore the joy of salvation. You see what calling out can do? You see what restoration can do as we, as we help to call out our brothers and sisters in Christ? To be called out by our brothers and sisters in Christ, it leads us to repentance. And this is what a community of trust can do. The Bible kind of tells us how to deal with this and church discipline in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. It says, if a brother or sister goes, if, a brother, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So listen to what the scripture says. If you see a brother or sister living in sin, you go and call them out privately. And if they listen, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take, the, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if your brother or sister in sin, you went and called them out privately, they didn't listen, take two or three more brothers and sisters and go and call that person out. They listen, you've won over your brother. If they don't, here's what the Bible says. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them like you would a pagan or tax collector. If you take two or three, your brother still doesn't listen, take them to the church. It's getting rough and tough, I know. If, you, if your brother listens, you've won them over. But if they don't, excommunicate them. Not on the basis of, hey, I, I don't want to be nothing against you. He's saying, actually, no, do the right thing. Excommunicate them and continue to pray. Continue to be after the heart of your brother or sister in sin. Continue to pray for repentance. The Bible tells us in the 1 Corinthians 5, you shouldn't even be with people who profess to be Christians and then they are constantly and habitually living in sin without repentance. But I would say if we excommunicate them like the Bible says, it doesn't mean cease to pray for them. So how can we facilitate a community of trust? It's first by prayer. Are we willing to pray at one another? 
through the hard times and the rough seasons and the mess in our lives? And even the good seasons, are we ready to rejoice and give praise with one another? To stand and get happy and praise God through these times? The next way is through confession. Are we willing and ready to open up about our sin? Are we, are we ready to be true, sharing all the in-depth things about our lives? Are we ready to be a listening ear for someone else's confession? And through restoration, confronting and rebuking, but also being willing to be confronted and rebuked. I think as a believer, this is kind of a hard thing for me. Because sometimes I don't want to be confronted. I don't want to be rebuked. That's why I stay in a corner and let nobody know. But in that corner, I know I'm suffering. So I urge you today, maybe you're looking for someone to be the Chris in your life. Maybe you're looking for someone to open up to and share what's going on because you know you've been balling it inside and putting on a bad image. Maybe God is calling you to be the Chris for someone else's life. You have friends who's probably living an image that they're not. It's so sad to say because sometimes we do. We have friends gossiping, living a habitual life of slander. We don't say anything. We have friends living a habitual life of gluttony. And we say nothing. We do ourselves live these habitual lives and we say nothing. This is an opportunity to find the Chris in your life. Someone to confess and you can trust in. And here at Thrive, you have that opportunity to do that. we starting new small groups this week. I'm going to ask the leaders to come up. Stand in the line. Here at Thrive, in a small group, you could connect with any one of these leaders. And we are willing and ready at all times to listen to you. I have a confessed buddy on this leadership team. It's this guy right here. He has to listen to all my crap all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I look at his face and I'm like, he, he's just wondering why am I talking to him. <laughs> but we're willing and ready to show you Christ's love, to show you how Christ wants to love you through confession of sin. And sometimes we up here need a buddy too. So I encourage you today, as you join your small group, to look for areas in your small group where you can build a community of trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity to actually look into your word and see how we should confess our sins. God, as we embark on this journey of building a community of trust, understanding that we need to be a community of grace, and most importantly, be a community centered on Christ for the glory of God. Help us leaders up here to be able to facilitate that and help the people sitting out there to, be, to understand that they can assist us as well. We can be friends and do life together, being willing and ready to confess our sins. Why? Because we know that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and will forgive, forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In your name I pray. Amen.